Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Been waiting all week. Thank you, thank you. Morning. Why is that such a beautiful sound in church? Good morning, and then we all say good morning. I don't know, just that little repetition is nice. Is that just me? Random thoughts, random thoughts. Comforting, it's comfort. Thank you, Justin. Y'all are just humoring me at this point. I love that, Marcelo. I, I felt the, I heard the Lord today in a pre-service prayer say the season of barrenness is over. And, um, and I felt that he wanted to open our ears for those that have struggled to hear him for some time, for those that feel that there's been any blockages or hindrances. Is that anyone in the room? Could you stand? Or if you've been in a season of barrenness, whether that's physical for our ladies, let's go for that as well. Um, let's pray for them. If they're near you, put your hand on them. Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just begin to pray over them, as Bill, Bill Johnson used to say, pray for them how you would want to be prayed for, okay? So just hold nothing back. Begin to lift up your prayers as the saints, as the ministers. Hey, Lord, remove every hindrance, everything that is stopping them from hearing you clearly. Lord, we, we trust and know that you're good, that you are always speaking, Open our ears. Open our ears. We command any spirit of of doubt, of self-doubt to leave them in Jesus' name. Any lies from the enemy, from the evil one saying, that's not really him, he's not really speaking, he doesn't care about you. We silence those lies. Lord, would you bring clarity to their ears? And Lord, we just say anyone that's been in this season of barrenness right now, Lord, we just, spiritually, would you open up the womb for what you want to birth, for what you want to do. We thank you for your mercies, for your grace, for your glory that is new every day. Would you empower us to walk in the newness that you have for us, all the newness that you have for us. Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Do it, Lord. Let it be done. Whew. Some of y'all might have saw it when you walked in, but our youth are doing a bake sale fundraising for camp today. So make sure you grab delicious baked good on your way out. Pat here has the most delicious pound cake. I wasn't even a fan of pound cake until I had Pat's pound cake. Like, I'm serious. It is the greatest thing you might ever have. And uh, mark your calendars next week. We are taking up a special offering for our student camps. So I want to invite you to pray into uh, preparing a gift, preparing a a seed for that for our students. Um, Jess and I, as we led the youth ministry and youth camps for 10 years, our heart was always if those who want to go to camp get to go to camp, that there's nothing holding them back, nothing stopping them, um, because we so believe in the spiritual... um, impartation that happens at camp. And we've seen it time and time again, students that would come to us and say, if it wasn't for camp, I, like, I would have left the Lord a long time ago. Yeah. 
And so we, we truly believe it's such a, a powerful time of encounter. So please pray about that next week. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm excited. We are finishing off our series on the Beatitudes. Y'all been enjoying it? We are, uh, we're finishing off this series, and Jess and I have been thoroughly enjoying this. And uh, Duncan preached a brilliant message last week on Blessed Are the Merciful. If you didn't catch that, if you weren't here for that, it's worth tuning in online for. And um, the last time I got to preach in this series, we got to talk about mourning. And today we get to talk about persecution, everybody. Woo! So tell your neighbor, buckle up. Tell your neighbor, if it's in the Bible, it's worth talking about. Tell your, tell your neighbor, if Jesus said it, maybe we should pay attention to it. Y'all are telling your neighbors, I'm watching you. You just got a D minus. Come on, tell your neighbor. If Jesus said it, we should talk about it. All right? Blessed are the persecuted. Buckle up. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 5, verse 10. We're going to read 10 through 12 here. I like that, the sound of turning pages. It's also on the screens if you need it. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, as we've discussed these beatitudes, they're countercultural, right? They're, they're, they're not really of this world. We don't get a gold medal for participating in the Beatitudes. There's no plaque on the wall. I'm sorry, you're not going to get one in this church that says, Best Peacekeeper, April 2023. Most pure in heart, <laughs> March. Right? This, these, these things, are, they're not valued character traits by the world. But I'll tell you what they are. They are ways to describe the people of God. They are ways to describe the character and the nature and the things we'll face and how we'll respond and react when we face trials, when we face hard things, when we have to endure things. They should describe us. They should describe the way that we're meant to be, to act, to live, the standard and nature that Jesus has called us to. And I want us to know, I want us to notice something here. It's, it's not saying blessed are the persecuted, period, end of sentence. It seems that there's conditions to the blessing here. Verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? If you also got your Bibles open, you can just read it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And in verse 11, Jesus carries on. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Starting off, I want to say that this isn't talking about the kind of blessing simply for any sort of persecution. This isn't saying, 
Blessed am I for the persecution I face because I'm running around as an angry tyrant slapping people across the face with my Bible. Or being full of anger and full of hate and being dogmatic and being extreme and and being rude and unloving and full of the heart and mercy of Christ. No, I think it was Dave Vaughn said the the Beatitudes here aren't multiple choice. Or maybe it was Jess or somebody. Yes, you. Jess is like, it was me. Jess said, the Beatitudes aren't multiple choice, right? This is the standard Christ has called us to. And so it's blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. For our faith, for our following him. And in 1 Peter 4.15, it seems like Peter understands this. He says this, he says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Somebody need to hear that today. <laughs> Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify in this matter, God in this matter. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, don't su- suffer for foolish reasons. If you're going to suffer, let it be for your faith. And don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that persecution. Don't be ashamed of that, of the world not understanding, of not wanting anything to do with you. That is what it is to follow Christ, isn't it? To pick up our cross and follow him. Right? Right? Right. I'm just keeping you all awake for a service. We got this. Blessed are you when they revile you, which means when they criticize you in an abusive or insulting manner. Has anyone been criticized in an insulting or abusive manner? Yeah, a few of you. In John 15, 18, Jesus says this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. The implication of these Beatitudes, the implication of Matthew 5, John 15, is almost as if to say, listen, don't be surprised when you face persecution. Don't don't be taken aback in the same way that they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. And if they obeyed him, they'll obey you. But don't be surprised when you face persecution in the way that he faced persecution, right? It's almost a sort of indicator, if you will, that we're, that we're living out this gospel and we're unashamed. We're just calling us out. That we're not suppressing our salvation. We're not suppressing Christ and just trying to look like the world and fit in and be loved by the world. But actually, we're not afraid to stand out and be the salt and light that God has called us to be in this earth. Because when you're the salt and light of the earth, the world doesn't like it. Because you might just convict them. You might just tell them that they need to change their ways. And don't be, don't be concerned 
with persecution. Historically, when you look at the church, when you look at church history, the church has grown under persecution. Every time. Every, every time. Like right now, yeah. Like many times. You know, I had a lot of friends in, in high school. I had good community. Um, I loved to play sports. So I had a lot of friends on the, on the teams. I played rugby and volleyball and basketball and anything to get out of school. And uh, <laughs> we... Uh, when I got to ministry school, it was different because I was really, really passionate about what I was learning. But in high school, I was like, man, a lot of the games happened during class. So I made sure to play in the spring and fall and just like every moment possible to play sports. And so I had, I had friends, I was outgoing, um, but there was always those few, uh, that group of kind of the popular kids in the school. And I remember it very well. Um, they didn't really like me. And it really came down to my faith. Fundamentally, it came down to the fact that I was a Christian. And I was just kind of mulling that over as I was preparing this message, as I was taking time with the Lord, as I was studying on persecution. And I was like, you know, Lord, thank you that I wore you on my sleeve, that I wasn't ashamed of you. It was almost as if I wasn't preaching down anyone's throats necessarily. I wasn't the guy like standing on the stage and screaming, repent. (laughs) Um, But I also wasn't ashamed at all of of who Jesus was in my life. And so it's almost like I I was, I was reflecting on it and I was just thanking the Lord. Like, and for me, it was like, I, I just didn't know anything else. Like it'd almost be like hiding an elephant in your living room. Like it's not even possible. Like, if you're going to know about me, how am I going to hide this part that is so integral and huge in my life? But there were those that rejected me simply because of my faith, that wanted nothing to do with me, that laughed at me, that made fun of me in the halls, whatever it was. And I didn't, I didn't pay much attention, but it's part of, of being a Christian. It's part of wearing our faith on the outside of who we are, right? Of clothing ourselves in the righteousness of Christ and walking countercultural to the world. Amen? And I look, at the, I look at the disciples of Jesus, I look at the followers of Jesus, and this, these words of Jesus would have been quickly applicable to them. You know, the, the followers of Jesus were accused of all sorts of things as Jesus ascended into heaven. They were accused of being cannibals because people misunderstood the Lord's Supper. And so they were like, these guys are weird. They eat their body and they drink the blood. <laughs> And they were accused of that. They were accused of being revolutionaries, of trying to overthrow the government of Rome, of trying to form its own government. They were accused of splitting up families because it was such a communal, such a family culture. When one would get saved, the family would be in disarray. The family would be distraught, not know what to do, have to reject that person. And here they are being accused. You're tearing families apart. You're splitting families apart. And so they were hated. They were, of course, physically persecuted for this. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were murdered. They were imprisoned. All sorts of things, right? I want to look at a few of these stories. I want to start by looking at Stephen in Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, once again, please turn there with me. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through 15. Stephen was a man who was... uh, dedicated to uh, distributing food and looking after the poor. In Acts chapter 6, 
He's brought before many religious leaders who are accusing him of all sorts of things, and this, this takes place. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw the face, saw his face as the face of an angel. Pretty cool moment. There's, there's that blessing that Jesus is talking about. The blessing of being falsely accused. As these men are debating with him in a public setting, in a public forum, and it says that they could not refute, they couldn't, they couldn't win arguments against the wisdom that was inside of him and against the spirit of God that was in him. This was the Lord saying, don't worry about the things to say in the moment. I will give you the words to say. And here Stephen is full of the spirit and his wisdom. And so what do they do? They, they are, they're fixated on the outcome that this man must pay, that this man is stirring up all sorts of dissent. And so, of course, there's the bring up the false accusations, bring up people who can accuse him of all sorts of things that aren't true. There's that blessing. We wouldn't necessarily call it a blessing, but Jesus did. And after this, Stephen goes on to challenge their, their thinking. He begins to challenge their, their beliefs, their understanding of their scriptures, of the scriptures. And he even begins to really rebuke them. Because remember, Jesus treated the, the sinners of the world differently than he did the religious. And so these religious leaders, these teachers of the law and word, he begins to rebuke them. I want us to pick up after his speech. Y'all, y'all can read it if, um, if you feel like it after. But I want to jump to Acts chapter 7, verse 54. After he begins to speak with them, this takes place. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. Imagine this, bunch of grown adults here, covering their ears, la, 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 la. And they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then in the midst of this stoning, he kneels down. He cried out with a loud voice saying, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. I love that. 
as his accusers are whipping stones at him, he's falling on his knees. And I think in this moment, like, were the words of Jesus close to his heart? Blessed are you, Stephen, in this moment. Blessed are you as you as you speak truth, as you hold to your faith in the moment when all these false accusations are brought against you. Blessed are you, Stephen, as even this moment where they whip stones at you, he's modeling the character and nature of Christ on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And here Stephen is being stoned saying, Lord, hold not this sin against them. Were these words of Jesus close to his that the kingdom of heaven is yours, Stephen? Blessed are you as you're persecuted for the kingdom of heaven is yours. And great is your reward. One more story. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I love this one. Story of Paul and Silas. Starting down in verse 16. It says, once when we, referring to Paul and Silas, were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave owner who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. I just think that's good publicity. I don't know what they're, you know, complaining about. It's a joke. Verse 18 She kept us up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, severely beaten, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are here. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his house were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I 
again, this another beautiful moment of Paul and Silas, unashamed. I find it kind of funny reading the story. It took them a couple days that they were, when they were just leaving this girl, <laughs> but she was annoying them so much, constantly yelling, following them, heckling them, saying, they're trying to get you saved, that they deliver this demon out of her. They set her free, and I'm sure the spirit was upset, but the, the girl was probably pretty happy. And um, all for this, for setting this young girl free, they're, they're, they're thrown into prison, they're beaten, they're put in the inner cell. But how do they respond, right, in this moment? How do they respond to persecution? You know, I think in America, our persecution often looks very different than these scriptures. It often looks different than many other extreme nations that are completely opposed to the gospel, that are completely opposed, uh, like the underground church in China or many extreme Muslim nations where you can be imprisoned or killed for your faith. And these stories are very much happening today. And those churches, once again, are thriving under persecution. God is building his church regardless. And those people are spending, are going to eternity with Jesus. But I believe that this message is still applicable for us here. For those of us that are, persecution might not look like imprisonment, but it might look like hatred from your neighbor. It might look like a family member wanting nothing to do with you. It might look like somebody that you are close to, all of a sudden you become serious about your faith and now they've shut you out of their friend group. You know, I think back to uh, my youngest sister-in-law and she got radically touched by the Lord at, at camp one year and I was so proud of her. I remember she came home and she said, basically I want nothing to do with the partying lifestyle anymore. I'm leaving it all behind. And so she went to her friend group and she said, listen, I'm no longer going to do the things that I did before, but like, I still want to be your friend. And one by one, her friends that she had known for many, many years just began to drop her out of her life because she began to set a standard of righteousness. And she was persecuted in the sense of losing those friendships for standing for righteousness, for standing for Jesus. And so persecution might look different. It might look like not getting that promotion at work that you were hoping for. Because without knowing it, there's suppression for your faith. It might look a little different, but it's alive nonetheless. And blessed are we, everybody. Blessed are we when the world calls us a bigot. I'm just going to get real. Contextualize it for today. For righteousness sake. Though they don't understand. But blessed are we for the kingdom of heaven is ours. So I want to I take a moment. And I want to say how can we respond as believers in persecution, okay? Y'all still with me? Got a few points here we're going to unpack. And firstly, I want to say how we respond to persecution is to first remember you're in good company. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, Jesus says in the Beatitude, he says, blessed are you, and remember they did the same thing to the prophets. 
In John 15, we just read it. We read all these scriptures. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Remember that you're in good company. Don't take time dwelling on the slander of your accusers, but focus on the cloud of witnesses around you. Focus on Christ. Focus on the love of Jesus Christ and all that he saved us from and all that he's given us. Focus on those that have gone before us. Focus on those that have, that have been persecuted in greater ways for those that have lost their lives for Jesus. Y'all ever read those like Jesus freaks books growing up? Anyone? Just me. I love those books. These books describing those that have been persecuted or martyred for their faith. Don't dwell on your slanderer. Don't, don't fall into the temptation to be the same and respond the same. And within that good company, find, find and learn to value the company that we have in the body of Christ, one another. Learn to value the godly company that we have all around you in this church, in your connect group, and whatever it is, your friends that love Jesus that might go to another church, just in other believers, find, begin to value fully those friendships. That when we face persecutions, we can be there for one another. We can support one another. We can love one another. We can pray for one another. We can be there in, in so many ways for one another as the body of Christ. Allow that hardship to bind us together. I think of Paul and Silas in this moment where they're in this horrible place and how much it must have bonded them together even more in love. And they got to be in that prison together, support one another. John 15, right before the scripture we read, where Jesus says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. He says this, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, and I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I cho- chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. And he wraps it all up. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Number two, I want to say to be, to rejoice in persecution. If that offends you, that's what Jesus, those are the words of Jesus. (laughs) We're not talking about disregarding your feelings. We're not talking about the pain that persecution can cause. We're not talking about just, amen, brother, like, just pray it off. Just focus on the Lord. No, like, let's think of David in the Psalms. When, if you need a reference, Psalm 69, where he's, he's describing the agony that his soul's in. He's describing to the Lord... The, the enemies that he's facing, he's describing the amount of people that want to destroy him. And then the end of that chapter goes on to, goes on to say this. I, I think I wrote down here. Um, but as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. And then he says this, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. So he acknowledges the hardship. He acknowledges how he feels, but then he goes on to end by directing his praise and his thanksgiving and his gratitude to the Lord, to the one who's worthy, to the one who's endured it all for us, who is intimately acquainted with our, with our sufferings, with our trials, right? Yeah. 
And I love that moment of, of Paul and Silas. Their, their bodies are bloodied. Their bodies are bruised. They're in the inner, inmost cell. They're chained up. And here they are. And they're like, let's, let's start a prayer meeting. Let's begin to sing songs to the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful response. Now, it doesn't tell us what happened before. Did they get there right away? Did they start off that way? Or did it take a little while for the hearts to get there? I don't know. But the important part is they began to call on the name of the Lord and pray to him and worship him regardless of their situation. Number three, do not return hate for hate. This is a good one for the church today. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was, was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. <laughs> this is challenging. If you love those who love you, only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? What a challenging scripture. It's it's saying, don't be like the world. Don't give hate for hate. Don't give malice for malice. Don't give slander for slander. Don't persecute those that persecute you. No, the call of Christ is always one to die to lay at the feet of Jesus, to pick up our cross, to follow him, to choose that countercultural way, to be pure in heart, to be spiritually bankrupt and say, God, I need you in this situation. And I'm going to choose to pray for my persecutors. I'm going to choose to love my enemies. Those that are calling me a bigot, those that, that hate me for my faith, those that want nothing to do with me, those that think I hate them, that don't understand, Lord, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. If we only love those who love us, we are no different than the world. If we only love those that are the same as us, we are no different than the world. Let it sink in. Don't fall into the temptation. Get to be merciful, as Duncan was sharing last week. Number four, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the king and his kingdom. You know, people can laugh at us, they can mock us, they can beat us, they can imprison us, they can kill us, but they cannot separate you from the love of Christ. And they cannot separate you from the salvation that he has given you. And it's blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Set your mind, set your eyes, set, the, set your heart on the kingdom of heaven. Remind yourself in those moments of persecution, we were not made for this earth. This is but temporary. That we are all headed to the same trajectory. You cannot stop time. And one day we will all be laid in the ground. And we will be in eternity with Jesus where there is no more tears, where there is no more persecution, where there is no more weeping. So set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on his kingdom. Set your eyes on the things that he's done.
John 16, it says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Set your eyes on the overcomer. Set your eyes on the reality that he has overcome it all, that he has won it all, that the victory is his. It's that vision, it's that focus on Jesus that gives that pain a purpose. Right? It's like going to the gym. You have a you have something in you you're envisioning something in your mind, whether that's just to be more agile, more healthy, a little slimmer, whatever it is. And it's that thing that you're envisioning that is giving the pain of sore muscles and waking up and making time for the gym that get, that gives it a purpose, right? And when we endure trials, when we endure hardship, when we set our eyes on Jesus, it gives those trials and hardships a purpose, that it's all unto him and his glory. <clears throat> Lastly, I want to say that we are to, I think you could add this to every message ever, we're to lead on the Holy Spirit. If you've been listening today and you've been thinking of your own situations and you've been like, that all sounds really great, but that actually sounds, for me, impossible. And maybe you haven't learned how to respond healthily as a believer. Maybe your natural pathway is to respond to hate with hate. Maybe your natural pathway is those that are, that are rude to you or unkind to you to respond likewise. And for you, that sounds impossible. And the good news for everybody is without the Holy Spirit, it probably is. With man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so we lean on the Holy Spirit. Jesus was kind, wasn't he? He didn't leave this earth and say, good luck. I'll see you in a couple thousand years. But he sent us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to come and to guide us and to lead us. And in that moment where Stephen is facing all his accusers and the Spirit of God was in him as he was refuting their arguments, his Spirit was in him as well when he was, the stones were being cast. He was about to lose his life. And he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. With the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. That we can live a different way. We can live out these beatitudes. In fact, all these beatitudes that we've talked about, it's a fitting way to close a beatitudes <laughs> sermon series. All these beatitudes we've talked about without the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a really hard time. Don't think that we're just giving you a list of things that you all of a sudden need to step back into the, out of the realm of grace and into the realm of works, and you just need to figure it up and muscle th- your way through it. No, actually, you need to die like a seed in the ground, and say, Holy Spirit, would your life, would your character, would your nature resurrect in me? I love, I think it's Colossians 3 in the message. I read it a long time ago when I was a teenager, and it's like, if you're serious about acting this new life in Christ, I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably butchering a little, but it's to the effect of, um, if you're serious about living this new nature of Christ, throw off the old clothes, throw off the old things that hinder you, and clothe yourself in the new nature of Christ. Don't go back and pick up the rags and be the same and respond the same and act the same and give hate for hate. But let's invite the Holy Spirit to continue to renew our mind, 
to continue to transform us into his likeness, that daily we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And as you behold him, time in his presence, as you behold his word, as you take time and worship him, you are being transformed whether you believe it or see it. I believe that. The Holy Spirit, listen, he takes every moment. No moment is wasted in his presence. No moment is wasted in his word. No moment is wasted in prayer. He is always there renewing us, making us whole. So in closing, blessed are the persecuted. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's ours. I invite you to stand with me. I was, uh, I was praying on the way in, asking the Lord how he wanted me to close today. And I felt like I wanted to kind of hone in on that, that point, number one, that remember the company we're in. And I'm asking you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to find a couple people close to you. And I'm going to ask that we take a moment. I know we kind of started this way for those that are in seasons of barrenness. But I want us to take a moment and pray for one another that, A, firstly, we walk, out, we walk out our salvation unashamed of Jesus. And then secondly, pray for one another, be the body of Christ for one another, and pray that when we face persecution, that we would respond like Christ has, has asked us to. Can we do that? So find maybe three or four people around you. Get in a little group, in a little huddle. And don't, I want us to see the spiritual nature of this. I want you to look around at your group, whether you know them well or not, whether it's the type of people you could see yourself hanging out with or not, it doesn't matter. I want you to look around and in the eyes and faces of the believers surrounding you, I want you to see Christ. Christ in them. I want you to see those that, that are part of this gospel message with you to pray for one another, support one another. So just take a couple minutes and begin to pray for boldness, for us to be unashamed of Jesus, to wear him freely, clothe ourselves in him as we go about our days and our jobs and our workplaces. And then pray that when we face persecution, that we would, we would respond like Christ. Pray that they would have the ability to pray for those who persecute them. Pray that they would have the ability to love their enemies. couple more minutes. Don't grow weary. Everyone in the group, just take a turn praying.
Lord, I ask as we go today that you would help us not to shy away from the Great Commission, to go disciple nations, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Lord, that we would truly live out and walk out your gospel. We would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. And Lord, when, when trials come, when persecution comes, would you help us to walk in your, your character and your nature? In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.